I'm always afraid when I come inching up on Titus that he's going to have one more verse to sing. <laughs> that happened one time. Charles West did me that way. I asked him what was going to be his last verse, and he told me. So I got up on this podium here, and he sung one more verse. I had to stand there like a big dummy. <laughs> I felt so strange. You know, this thing's $39.99, bub. <laughs> it's good to see you all here today. Today we uh, will have our family dinner uh, celebrating uh, the season, the Christmas season. We're glad you all are here, and we hope you'll be able to stay and partake. I hope I'll be able to stay and partake. I'll know in about, eh, about 45 minutes whether I will or not. But uh, I do honestly hope you all stay and enjoy yourselves and have a good time. I'd like to talk this morning about the historical Jesus. And by that I mean basically, did Jesus of Nazareth, did he ever live? Was he really a person or is he a mythical character? E.F. E. Harrison wrote, some religions, both ancient and modern, require no historical basis, for they depend upon ideas rather than events. Christianity is not one of these. And by that he means this, a lot of religions are nothing more than a philosophy that people subscribe to. Oh, they may attribute it to some deity that they concoct, but as far as any historical basis for their religion, there is none. Christianity, on the other hand, is founded in history. It not only contains the philosophy of Jesus Christ, but there are the footprints he left behind. Uh, if he was truly a man of his stature, as we believe him to be, then surely he must have made some sort of an impression on the world when he was here in it. And that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to discuss. I got a whole lot of things to talk about. Uh, we'll see how many we can get through. But the point is, did Jesus really live? 19th century German historian Bruno Bauer alleged that Jesus was the mental invention of a few second century Christians who were influenced by Greco-Roman philosophy. This, I think, is a, a belief that many people hold that Jesus is a mythical character. It's kind of like the Tooth Fairies. I shouldn't say that. Kind of like some of these mythical characters that exist today for children. Many believe that Jesus was such a character. Uh, and it's our responsibility to demonstrate that he was not. He actually walked the earth. Atheist Dan Barker, he's associated with the Freedom From Religion Foundation, he said the New Testament Jesus is a myth. I sent him an email, and I asked what he based that on. I never got a response from it. I didn't think I would get one. Uh, how do you prove a negative? I don't know. It's kind of a silly thing to say there is no God, because you can't prove it, okay? If I say there is a God, I ought to be able to prove it. But if a person says there is no God, how are you going to go about proving that? How do you prove such a negative? How do you demonstrate that God never existed? It's kind of a silly thing. And that's pretty much what Barker did here. He's, 
he's making a statement that cannot be proven. It's just something he believes. It's his philosophy, if you will. Uh, but there's no evidence demonstrating that Christ never lived. Some do acknowledge the historical Jesus and always have. German historian Adolf Harnack, uh, he said, Jesus was so imposing of a figure that he was far beyond the power of men to invent. That was his take on the Lord. He went on to say that those who treat him as a myth are bereft of the capacity to distinguish between fiction and the documentary evidence. We talked just a minute this morning about people who choose not to see what's right in front of their face. This is a power that we have, we all have. We probably all used it at some time or another. We didn't like a truth, we didn't want a truth, and regardless of what anyone said, regardless of what we knew, we refused to believe it. We have the power to blind our eyes, to shut down our ears, if we want to. And that's what a lot of people do. The evidence uh, demonstrating that Jesus of Nazareth actually lived is very overwhelming. And I don't think anybody can, from an honest and sincere heart, deny that he did live. But some do. So my estimation of them is their opinion is less than sincere and honest. Joseph Klausner, he's a Jew scholar uh, at Hebrew University. Uh, of course, he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Nevertheless, he said, Jesus lived and exerted a powerful influence both in the first century and subsequent thereto. He denies the fact that Jesus was God in flesh, but he does not deny that he did live because the evidence, as I said, is overwhelming that he did. Entertainer Steve Allen, uh, he was very anti-Christ, very anti-Christian. Nevertheless, he said, my own belief is that Christ did indeed live in the time of Augustus Caesar. He didn't believe Christ was God, but he knew that Jesus lived because he examined the evidence. Most people that you'll encounter have never examined the evidence. It's more appealing to simply say that Jesus is not Lord of all things. It's, it's easier to deny who he is because that gives you the freedom to live as you choose to live without bothering your conscience. So many people out of the box deny Jesus, but they've never examined the evidence. They have no reason for believing that. They believe it because that's what they want to believe, which is not all that uncommon. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In verse 14, the Word became flesh, the God-man. The Word became flesh. He dwelt among us, John said, and we beheld his glory. He not only walked the earth, but there were those who witnessed him as the Christ, God's anointed, the one who would come after Moses, the one to whom all ears were supposed to turn. They knew who he was. He was God in the flesh. Evidence of historical Jesus 
there's several lines that I'll use if we get through them all. Number one, early antagonists of Christianity, those who despised, detested Christ and Christianity. Number two, New Testament documents themselves. Number three, the ancient Jewish sources that exist. Number four, the writings of various Roman, uh, mostly philosophers and historians, I should say. Number five, the testimony of the patristic writers. These are what's uh, commonly known uh, in the preacher circle as the church fathers uh, over a period of about 700 years. They wrote a lot of letters back and forth. Uh, a letter, an elder would write a letter to another church or vice versa. Uh, and many of these letters, I think I have about 6,500 letters, uh, are still in existence today. And you can read the correspondence between these people. Number six, there's the art that's found inside the Roman catacombs, uh, about 600 miles of galleries, uh, attesting to the belief of many people that Christ was in fact the resurrected Lord, and then the impact of Christianity in history itself. First of all, the antagonists of Christianity. John Hurst stated in his book, History of the Christian Church, the earliest enemies of the Christian faith did not deny that Christ actually lived. They did not like him, they detested the movement, but they did not deny that he lived because everybody knew he did. The first antagonist of Christianity that we have a record of is a man named Celsus. He was a pagan philosopher, he lived in the second century. He wrote a book, True Discourse. It was published in A.D. 178. And here's some of the things he said. Jesus was born in low circumstances, being the illegitimate son of a soldier named Panthera. As he grew, he announced himself to be God, deceiving many. Celsus also charged that Christ's own people killed him and that his resurrection was a deception. It's obvious that this man was no believer, notwithstanding because the evidence was so overwhelming, uh, he didn't attempt to deny the fact that Jesus lived. He just accused him of being a deceiver, uh, not that he walked the earth. He never questioned the historicity of Christ. Uh, it would have been a foolish thing to do. Uh, Lucian of Samosota, in a he lived A.D. 115-200, he was known as the Voltaire of Grecian literature. He's a great philosopher and writer, speaker. Christians worshiped the well-known sophist who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced new mysteries. This was his opinion of what Christ taught. Uh, it was a, a mystical, mysterious sort of thing, not factual. His teachings were not factual according to this man. But the man Jesus, he did indeed live. He never questioned the historicity of our Lord. Porphyry of Tyre, he was born about 80 through 33. He said, well, he wrote 15 books against the Christian faith. And he said in one of his books, The Life of Pythagoras, he contended that magicians of the pagan world exhibited greater powers than the Christ. The magicians were more powerful than the Christ was, but he mentions the existence of the Christ, that Jesus did in fact live. 
These are three of the earliest antagonists of Christianity. Their attempt to turn the world against Christ uh, ultimately failed. A little over 100 years later, uh, Christianity would become the religion of the Roman Empire. It would be the state religion. So rather than squashing Christianity as they hoped to do, uh, the truth marched onward and in time, uh, most of the empire were pseudo-Christians. They weren't Christians in the true sense of the word, but they professed belief in Christ. The New Testament documents bear witness to our Lord. Skeptical writers dismiss the New Testament documents. How can you prove Jesus lived by the New Testament documents is their question. To do that, he says, is irresponsible since more than 5,000 Greek manuscripts in whole or part established the body of New Testament literature. Of the ancient writings, there, there is no more proof for any writing, the writings of Shakespeare or whoever you want to bring up in history, there's no more evidence that exists today attesting to the reality of the event than there are of the New Testament documents. For that many um, writings to still exist uh, is unheard of. To dismiss the New Testament writings as valid historical evidence is just plain foolishness especially in lieu of all the things we believe because of other documents which are very sparse, the writings of Shakespeare, for example. There's not much that evidences the fact that Shakespeare was. Nevertheless, people are devoted to him today. All 27 New Testament books were written within 60 years of Christ's life. No other religion can make such a claim. All the books of the New Testament were written within 60 years of Jesus' death. Ten books were penned by personal companions of the Lord. These were her, his friends and companions, disciples. Paul, eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, he wrote 13 or 14, I think 14, of the 27 books. That means that Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. He was uh, one who wrote that much of the New Testament. With no evidence in hand, modern liberal theologians make the claim that the New Testament was written in the second century AD or later. This is a popular uh, peeve with these folks today. They try to discredit the New Testament. Um, many do that. I, I've never really understood the fact. They claim to be theologians. They are students of God and nevertheless, they deny the reliability of the New Testament documents. That just, that just blows my mind. I don't know why they spend all the time studying God. If you're going to reject the evidence that reveals God to us. But, but they do. I don't get it. A.T. Robinson, for example, he's a liberal British theologian. He opposes most everything we believe, though he claims to be a believer himself. He said all the New Testament books were written in the first century. This man stands in severe opposition to Christ and the New Testament writings. Well, 
specifically the New Testament writings. He denies the miracles of Jesus and things of that nature, but he denies the reliability of the New Testament books. Uh, very popular with preachers, this fellow is. Uh, he also admitted that the book of James was penned by a brother of the Lord within two decades of Jesus' death. Many believe it was the first epistle written after the death of Christ. And he admits the fact that James wrote this particular book. He, he also said that Paul authored all the books that bear his name and perhaps one that doesn't bear his name. That would be, of course, the book of Hebrews. Finally, John the Apostle wrote the fourth gospel. We call it the Apostle of John. Robinson, though he's in league with those who do not believe the Bible was written until at least the second century, uh, goes against his uh, fellow scholars, if you will, to use that term loosely, uh, and admits to the fact that really cannot be denied because the evidence is there. If I say a car is black and you go outside and you see the black car, you're going to believe that I was correct about the black car. Uh, and that's kind of the way the New Testament evidence goes. It's hard to deny what still exists in so many ways and is provable. Three, there's the Jewish testimony. Uh, first on the block is Josephus. Uh, Josephus was uh, a Jew. He was a historian first, a Jew second. Uh, and during the siege of Jerusalem, Josephus was employed by the Roman Empire to write a record of the things that happened as Jerusalem fell. He didn't just confine himself to writing about the siege and fall of Jerusalem. He also wrote about many other things, uh, all Jewish. Uh, Josephus, in my opinion, exaggerated a lot of things. Uh, he talked about, uh, as far as the siege of Jerusalem was concerned, he talks about the blood running through the streets up to the bridles of horses. Um, I don't believe that to be true. Uh, he, he meant it to be taken literally, but I can't believe that, that the blood was so deep it was up to the bridle of the horses. He exaggerated uh, in favor of the Jewish people and nation. Uh, he was certainly no friend of Christianity, but other than that, he was a really good historian. He left us good records to study. He referred to Jesus twice in this particular book, Antiquities of the Jews. In another passage, he called Jesus the Christ. And then finally, he referred to his marvelous deeds, and he also talks about his death and his resurrection. Did he believe in the resurrection? No, he did not. But he believed that the people believed in the resurrection. Uh, I don't think Josephus, well, I'm pretty sure he wasn't, uh, eyewitness to the events, but the evidence that remained was so significant that Josephus did not step out on a limb and deny those things ever happened. Uh, it, was, it was just like going against the grain. He commented on the trial of James, the brother of the Lord, 
and he identified him as the brother of Jesus, who was the so-called uh, Christ. Uh, Josephus has a lot of evidence about Jesus and some of his events and some of his disciples. Remember, these are not friends of Christianity. I don't use them uh, because they're not as good of a witness as the enemies of Christianity are. In the Jewish Babylonian Talmud, which was compiled in the 5th century AD, uh, they put together a bunch of uh, historical records. They call Christ Ben Pandera, or son of Pandera, the soldier who allegedly raped Mary and uh, she conceived a child by this man. He was uh, the son of a Roman soldier named Bandera or Panthera. It's, it's pronounced either way. It could be, uh, if you're listening to uh, uh, some of the news programs on television, uh, the historical channel or, or things like that, you, you may hear Jesus referred to as Pandera or the son of Pandera. Uh, that's where this comes from. They, they had a problem, the enemies of Christianity did, and that was people believed in the virgin birth of Jesus, that his mother conceived child by the Holy Spirit. And they knew that he had been conceived in an illegitimate manner in their estimation, but rather than attributing fatherhood to the Holy Spirit, they prefer to attribute fatherhood to a man. So you may hear Jesus referred to as the son of Pandera in some of these programs, and that's what they're talking about. Uh, it's not true, of course, but uh, those who want to skirt around the Christian religion uh, use such weapons to try to cause disbelief among the ranks. Uh, the Talmud also refers to Jesus' miracles as magic. He was a magician, like other magicians were. That he claimed to be God, and that he was executed on the eve of the Passover. Uh, the Talmud, of course, these are the writings of the Jewish rabbis. Uh, they don't want to establish Jesus and his execution and things of that nature. They don't want to establish such things, nevertheless... Uh, as, as a, as a uh, historian writes an historical record, he's probably going to be accurate in some respects as he writes, such as in the case of Jesus. We have then the, the Roman sources that are available to. Now keep in mind, this is, this is like uh, this is like the tip of the iceberg. What I'm showing you in each category is a a very, very small amount of the evidence that exists. Uh, the Roman sources, for example, I'll show you a few, but there are many, many, many more that could be uh, spoken of, uh, but you know, everybody's gonna wanna eat about 12 o'clock, so I gotta get done. So I've only picked out a few in each case. Pliny, he was the governor of Bithynia. He wrote to the emperor Trajan. Um, he had a problem, he didn't know what to do about it. Christians, uh, he said, they had a practice of meeting on an appointed day to sing a hymn to Christ as if to God. He didn't know what to do about it. So he wrote to the emperor, what, what do we do about these people? They're, they're worshiping someone as God. 
rather than worshiping the gods of the empire. Uh, Tacitus, in his volume, Annals, was written in 115 AD, and he refers to Christus, who was executed at the hands of the procurator, Pontius Pilate, in the reign of Tiberius. Well, that's what the Bible says. That's what secular history says. Did, was, did Jesus actually live? Well, it certainly seems so when you look at what various historians have said and government officials. They spoke of him as though one who walked the earth. Uh, your faith in Christ is not in vain, I can assure you of that. Suetonius, uh, he wrote 120 A.D., Christians were continually making disturbances at the instigation of Christus, that's the Christ, because the Jews at Rome caused continuous disturbance at the instigation of Christus, Claudius, you can read Acts 18 and 2 to see the biblical record, Claudius expelled the Jews from the city of Rome. Punishments were also inflicted on the Christians, a sect professing a new and mischievous religious belief. Now keep in mind, these are secular writers, secular historians that are providing us with this record. Pliny the Younger wrote a letter in 110 AD. He mentioned Christian or Christians seven times. He mentioned Christ three times. The patristic writers, uh, these are, uh, these are uh, very valuable records uh, and they provide us with very interesting reading. It's, it's really interesting to read what these writers have had to say. These are known as the church fathers. They wrote between the first and the eighth centuries. Uh, there's a good number of letters. I don't know exactly how many there are, but there's thousands of them. Uh, that exist even now. Polycarp is one, I think, of the most colorful characters uh, in the historical records. Polycarp uh, was an elder of the church at Smyrna. You remember we read about the church at Smyrna in Revelations chapter 2. This was a church that Jesus examined as he did all seven, and he found no faults with the church at Smyrna. It was a most excellent congregation. But he, he told them that they were going to be persecuted even unto death. And before he signed off in his letter to them, he said, Be faithful unto death, and you shall receive a crown of life. Be faithful unto death. The chance of death was very good. Be faithful, though. Don't shrink back from the faith. And should you die, you will receive the crown of life. That came from the Christ himself. And no doubt it motivated the people to further action. Polycarp was 86 years old. Uh, he had been a, a, well I should say he had been a Christian for 86 years. I'm not sure how old he was. But uh, he was uh, a very devout man. And when they, they burned him at the stake, deny Christ and you can live. If not, we're gonna burn you at the stake and they set him on fire. And one historian wrote that as his fingers lit up like candles, uh, Polycarp was singing praises to Christ as Lord. Uh, it's a 
marvelous example of great faith. There are so many of them back in the first three centuries of people who went to their deaths praising God as they did. It's staggering, especially when you compare it to you know, my life today and, and what temptations or persecutions I may have to deal with. When I look at what many of those folks went through, mine seem I'm ashamed to even talk about them because uh, Christian people through the years uh, have exhibited uh, great faith. Many Christian people have exhibited great evil, but many have exhibited uh, very great faith. Polycarp was just such a man. Irenaeus, uh, he wrote uh, about Polycarp and the death of Polycarp. Uh, he said that Polycarp had personal association with the Apostle John and with others who had seen the Lord. Uh, he apparently knew John uh, and spoke with him uh, during his lifetime. Uh, he was a very good witness to the uh, resurrection of Christ. Think about it. Deny Christ and you'll live. If they believe something that wasn't true, why not deny him at the point of death? Why would you die? What's the purpose of dying for something that's not even true? If there's not going to be life after death, then why leave the world now? He was in fairly good health at the time. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense at all. People might be deceived into believing a lie is true, and they may lay down their life for it. But I can't imagine a person laying down their life for something they know to be false. And Polycarp would have been just such a man who would have known something like that. Nevertheless, he allowed them to burn him at the stake alive, and he refused to deny Christ. I think all of those witnesses bear great testimony to the truthfulness of Christ and the Christian religion. Uh, they died horrible, horrible deaths. Oh, it's unbelievable. It was so terrible what they went through. I, I, it makes me so sad. Uh, we have the Roman catacombs, uh, which are, uh, I've never seen them personally, I'd like to, but uh, they reveal a great deal. Uh, Blake Locke has a book, The Archaeology of the New Testament, and in that book, of course, uh, you can see the pictures of various paintings that are found on the walls in the catacombs. From the 2nd to the 5th centuries A.D., they served as tombs and secret places of worship during times of persecution for early Christians. Uh, the Christians spent much of their life underground. Persecutions, uh, they weren't a constant thing. Uh, you would have uh, an emperor that might uh, order the execution of Christians. Uh, you might have a local leader who might do something like that. And uh, Christians would go underground if such occurred. But most of the time, they weren't being persecuted by others. Most of the time, they could live above ground and they were relatively safe. No one was going to bother them. But whenever things got tense, they went underground. They went into the catacombs and there they stayed throughout the persecution. 
There are some 600 miles of subterranean passages. They have found uh, between uh, 1,175,000 and an estimated 4 million graves where people died in the tombs and were buried there. Uh, there are paintings on the wall of uh, the persecutions. There are paintings on the wall of Christ crucified. Uh, all sorts of paintings throughout uh, these uh, passageways. And uh, there's been many uh, people who have copied the art that's been found in those uh, passages and uh, display them uh, all over the world because a lot of them are pretty good artists, looks to me like. But uh, imagine how many people died in those tombs through this period. Uh, it's believed to be up to four million people. Uh, that's an incredible number to be buried underneath the city. The catacombs, uh, this is something I thought you might find interesting. It may be on the back of a car you see a, uh, looks like a symbol of a fish. Uh, sometimes it's a little sticker on a bumper, and sometimes it's a little metal thing, and uh, somebody will attach it to their car somehow, and they wear this fish around. And then, you, know, you always want, what in the world's a fish for? Uh, does it mean fishers and men? I don't know exactly what it means. Well, this symbol uh, came to being uh, back in the second century. And it was used uh, by Christians to identify themselves as Christians. Uh, people uh, were scattered, and they, uh, they didn't know who a brother was or not. And they used this symbol as, as a way to identify themselves, or perhaps they would identify uh, their meeting place or things of this nature. But this particular symbol was created by men and used for a specific purpose uh, during this time. You look to the far left and you have the Greek letters that are transliterated in the next symbol over, and the word is ictus, ictus, okay? Uh, and then on the far, you'll find symbols like that where uh, they would identify uh, maybe a meeting place where Christians would meet, maybe in a cave or whatever, uh, they would come together and meet and worship God. And a Christian passing through would know that this was such a place uh, by the symbol that might be scratched in the earth or scratched on the cave wall and um, erased after its use. It was, a, it was a difficult time and people got by. Uh, it was very hard, uh, but they got by. Today, when you see uh, this particular symbol, you got ictus at the bottom in the Greek letters, but at the top, they say the meaning is Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. That's not what ictus means. The word ictus means simply fish. That's all it means. How people have come up with this idea of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, that's what the fish symbol means. I do not know. Uh, I think somebody thought it would be a neat idea, and they made it. But uh, that's not what it is. We don't use a fish. I don't have a fish on my car. If I have a fish on my car, I'm going to take it home and cook it. Uh, I like fish, but I'm not going to wear a fish symbol because 
I know it has nothing to do with my being a Christian. It was something people did during times of persecution as a way of identifying one to another. That's all it was. And then we have the impact of Christianity on the world. The enemies of Christ said on one occasion that the Christians had turned the world upside down. That was in Acts 17 and 6. They didn't literally turn the world upside down. Figuratively, they did, however. <clears throat> As Christians lived and moved about, their teaching of a spirit world uh, caught on. People listened. They examined the evidence. They believed that Jesus was indeed the Christ. And as they believed, they moved away from previous philosophies that they held, the false pagan gods, for example. As these philosophies uh, began to shrink as far as population was concerned, as these gods started losing their disciples, those who made money off these ventures became angry with the Christians. And these are the ones that said they had turned the whole world upside down. Well, through the years, for 2,000 years, Christianity has been turning the world upside down. You see what the world looks like without God. Look at Russia. Look at China. Look at other communist and socialist countries. Look at the way they live. Look how they treat people. Look how people are put to death in great numbers, such as in China. That's a world without God. And then look at our world. Not, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But it's a lot better than a lot of places on the earth. And that is due largely to Christianity. Think about the hospitals that exist. Largely because of Christians through the years. Think about all the efforts of people who are trying to feed those who are hungry or shelter those who are hungry. The government isn't going to do it. They say they will, but it's not apparently working very well. And look at all these uh, non-governmental groups that have formed and worked toward those ends. Why? Because Jesus told them to feed the poor. If it weren't for the Lord and his teachings, I think we would live in a very, very nasty world. A world that none of us want to be a part of. I think our world, especially in our nation, the Christian religion has had a very powerful influence and has affected our life tremendously. It's hard to understand what a hard life is 
if you'd never lived a hard life. It's like socialism. So many Americans now wanting to be a socialist country rather than a democratic country. It just makes me tremble. And I wonder why. Why would people think this way? And I, the only thing I can come up with is because they don't know what a socialist country is like. They don't understand what they're giving up. When everything belongs to the state and nothing belongs to the individual. I don't, I don't understand. But the Christian religion, of course, takes a very different approach. Jesus, I believe, was a capitalist. He liked the democratic philosophy. At least that's what he taught. He certainly was no fan of socialism or communism. Jesus lived. A fool says he didn't. Because a person is speaking without having examined the evidence. You can't examine the evidence, even an nth of it, and walk away making a statement that Jesus never lived and be a sincerely honest person. Your faith is not in vain. There's people like me and a lot more people than me who examine such things and help us to know and understand that our faith is not in vain. One day, one day we'll know. One day, one glorious day, we'll move into the kingdom of God We'll be with the Lord. We'll be with all those who have gone before us and those who will follow us. And then we'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our faith was not in vain. If you're not a Christian, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The evidence is there. You're going to have to put forth a little time and effort. But the evidence is there. If you don't believe it, it's because you don't understand the evidence. As Christians, we are to live as though we believe and follow the way of Christ until we take that final step into heaven itself. <laughs>